This week on Lady History, is she real or is she fantasy? When we were planning this podcast and Lexi and I were like, what should we do for our podcast? I asked my family group chat, hashtag Stoli Squad. Um, and my sister was like, you could do my idea for my old roommate. We were going to start a podcast where we got drunk and talked about world issues. So now I'm like, should we be drunk right now? No. No, I, right? <laughs> no, we, de- we definitely shouldn't be drunk right now. This isn't drunk history, well, which no. broke my heart. Yeah, Alana, you drunk can't hold canceled. your liquor. I think it's what I've been drinking because I've been drinking those hard seltzers from Supreme Core. Shout out Supreme Core. They're not sponsoring us, but I don't need them to. No, that's just a pure recommendation. That's if just you a live, pure recommendation. If you live in the DC metro area, yeah. Supreme Core. Supreme Core is great. I would like to pour one out for our fallen comrade, Drunk History. I know, Haley, you don't really like Drunk History, but... But you know what? We will continue on their legacy by soberly telling... So, soberly... <laughs> we will continue on their legacy. We will continue on their legacy. Patreon episodes where we're drunk. We could do that. You know, listen, like this episode, give us a good review. Once we have some good reviews, then we can start charging you money for bonus content, and then we can be drunk and continue on the legacy of Drunk History. We are all 21, by the way. I'm actually, like, I'm the youngest, but I'm 22. So, yeah, just in case you thought this was a questionable thing, we're adults. We may not (laughs) act like it, but legally, (laughs) for legal purposes. Also, if you have ideas for funny Zoom backgrounds, please DM them to <laughs> at Lady History Pod on Instagram. So don't DM Lady History Pod on Twitter because that one's me. Yeah. But <laughs> Instagram is me, the Twitter is Alana, just so you know who you're contacting in the DMs. <laughs> if you want me, go to You one can of go in DMs any of them. And you can do whatever like, you want. You can do whatever I you want. want. But, but if you Alana, want Alana Alana is a Twitter being. I am I'm an I am Instagram a being. being. So that's why. And I'm none of the above. I really don't follow me on Twitter me. though. If you see me on Twitter, no, you don't. You don't exist on Twitter. I don't exist on Twitter. Your 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 at is at Lady History Pod. My <laughs> at is la- at Lady History Pod. That's true. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. I am virtually here with Lexi. Lexi, are you hydrated? No, I'm, I don't think I've been hydrated in maybe 18 years. Oh my God. <laughs> hydrate or dehydrate? That's true. That's, That's what a the really good like, girls basic, would say. Yeah, it's a basic kind of, it's a basic bitch thing to say, but it's true. Yeah. Hydration is important. It's good for your mental health. It is. Also, of course, I am here with Haley. Haley, do you have any allergies to medications? Yeah, I do, actually. That's not funny, but the way you said it was funny. And I'm Alana, and I am actively trying to remove the word guys from my lexicon. Hmm, interesting. It's not working. Yeah. I'm trying, and I'm real bad at it. I slip up constantly. It's very, like, um, ingrained in, in the mm-hmm. vernacular. I am also trying to get ladies to catch on as a gender-neutral term. Like, the way guys is, kind of. So I want it to be ladies. See, I'm my, ge- my like- gender neutral is boys with an I. Of course. Yeah. See, okay, I've, I switched to y'all because that's, I just lived with two roommates from Texas, and that's what it was. But growing up in New York, it's you guys. So I'm stuck in this, like, 
parallel universe where I get hated on for saying you guys. And I'm like, this is 20 plus years in the making. And we I, should embrace y'all. I feel like we should everyone should be able to say it. Yeah, I like y'all. That one's tough for me for some reason. Because I always called, like, even my girlfriends being like, you guys. Like, guys was- I call- yeah. You, you guys all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I speak to large groups of people who use she, her pronouns. And I say, use guys. <laughs> use guys. Use. <laughs> use guys. All right. We rocking and rolling. I'm rocking it. We're rocking and rolling. I'm going first because I want to dedicate this episode to my group of internet friends who, to um, my sunshines, especially M, who showed me a Tumblr post describing this woman. And um, I think as mentioned in the last episode, we take Tumblr history lessons with more salt than the Dead Sea. That's our first t-shirt. That's our first t-shirt. I think we said that in the last one too, but that's our first t-shirt. There it is. Take Tumblr history lessons. Although, wait, is that IP? Is Tumblr IP? We could change it to like internet history lessons. Take internet history lessons. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So M sent me this Tumblr post thinking, look how cool is this? And I was like, I don't really believe that. So let's look it up. So we're talking about agnodice, or in Greek, it would be agnotike, because that's how Greek is. So the story is set in the fourth century BCE-ish. Women were not allowed to become doctors or gynecologists or midwives, according to the story. But young agnotike, which is, I'm going to call her agnotike because that is the Greek name, and she was Greek. She was born in Athens and she went to Alexandria for med school and then she returned to, or for like ancient Greek med school, and then she returned to Athens. But she saw these women dying in childbirth and she wanted to help, so she dressed up like a man to go to med school and practice. When she got back after med school, supposedly she heard a woman crying out in pain of labor and this woman was initially distrustful of a male doctor so she flashed this woman to show that she was also a woman this is a recurring theme and she ended up being so good and like the best doctor around that the male doctors were losing patients and losing clients because it was about money and so they accused Ignatike of sleeping with her patients and then the women would be just like pretending to be sick so that they could see this young hot doctor these men take her to trial essentially. And she disrobes for them as well to be like, actually, no, or like, probably not. Maybe, who knows? And then they're like, that's actually even worse, because now we're going to sentence you to death for practicing medicine as a woman. Um, And the women stand up for her, these women that she's saved their lives, they stand up for her and they say, supposedly, a rough translation of the Latin Quote, you are not husbands but enemies, for you are condemning the woman who brought us health. And this moves these men of Athens, and they pass a new law that women can practice medicine. The person on Tumblr passed this off as real. It is probably a legend, because the best source is literally called the Fabuli. I'm in a Zoom meeting with a bunch of classicists, not classists, classicists, who knows Latin? Haley, I know you know Latin. What does fabuli mean? <laughs> I haven't taken Latin forever. Uh... I hear you it. typing. It means fables. It literally means fables. I, my gut instinct, because I like listening to you and I tr- like zone out for a second. 
then you called on me and you're like what is fabulous and I was about to be like fabuloso (laughs) I'm gonna do a quick google and get that out of my head but I did know that was fables because that came up in like my beginner latin textbook Mm -hmm. so it literally means fables also cross-dressing and then disrobing to reveal your true identity at the climax of a story is real common in classical legends. Like this is a, a running theme through a bunch of other yes, ma'am. Um, like yes, stories. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Also, there were definitely female midwives in the classical world, so there were no laws against it. But here is why or how it might be read as history. Men were distrustful of mid, like midwifery, midwifery. I actually wrote a paper about ancient birth control and gynecology like two years ago for a class. So the men are distrustful of female midwives because they don't understand what they're doing. They're like, what, what are these women doing with other women that we don't really understand? Are they doing birth control? Are they doing abortions? But also women are distrustful of men because like they don't get it either. So everyone's like being like, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. Skepticism. But there were female midwives, so there's no, there's no evidence for a law that says women can't be midwives. There is a modern interpretation. By modern, I do mean 17th century to 19th century, which relatively, like relative to the time period of this woman, is modern. We're also archaeologists, so I will say that modern is as early as when common era years have four digits. Like, that's modern to me. Yeah, I took, like, a medieval history class, and we got into, like, the plague, which was, like, the 1300s, and I was like, ah, modern medicine, and every, it was, like, an undergrad class, and, like, you could see, like, some of the students were like, what? (laughs) And the professor was like, no, she has a degree in archaeology, she's gonna say stuff like that. It's modern. Four digits, common era years, that's modern. I agree. That's how I feel. So, early advocates for women in medicine during a time when women, like for reals, for realsies, weren't allowed to practice medicine. Advocates for women being able to practice medicine and repealing that kind of ban used her as an example, but they can't use a legend as an example. Like she has to be real to be legit. All of the real scholars, the classicists say, this is a legend. The people on Tumblr say this is real. You decide who is right, except it's definitely the scholars and the experts. And that's the story of Agnatike, or Agnatice, depending. All right, so I'm going to hop on that, like, Greek train of yours and choo-choo on the way to Persia. And we're going to travel back in time. So, like, this is a time-traveling train, just to let you know. To go back to the 1400, not the 1400s, 400s BC. I'm still thinking about the plague. The plague is always relevant. Yeah. Especially right now. Especially right now. The plague. Anywho. Okay. I'm going to hop on that Greek time traveling train and go back to the 1400s. No, my fuck. God damn it. I still think about the plague. All right. (laughs) We're going to, we're going to be in Greek, Greek, ancient Greek history, but for Persia instead, there's like a little, little tangle of where we are and how I'm going to define that she's in Persian mythology rather than Greek mythology. And who am I talking about? I'm talking about Artemisia of Caria. And yes, I'm using my Spanish accent because I can't do anything else about it. 
or Artemisia the first. I'm gonna call her Artie because that's just how in my notes she's Artie. So we're gonna we are on first name basis with all of these women. Yes, absolutely. So we will be calling them by their first names and nicknames that we have given them. We so have would... that privilege as history podcasters. Yes, I was gonna use her for a different one, but I really like Persian mythology from being half Persian and I wanted to sprinkle some spice in here and this one was tricky for me because I knew about her already from like all the history classes we had to take in undergrad my general love for Persian mythology and history and then also I had to like crack out my Herodotus like the histories and like all the other ancient writers because she's not talked about that much but the men and the battles about like around what she's engulfed in are like the battle of salamis we're talking we're going to talk about so much stuff about that battle and just like greco-persian wars even has trickled down to our history classes in high school but this gal already nothing or very little that i'm this is a good source to work off anywho i got really excited at first because i thought she had like a google arts and culture like um nice little museum page or just like a profile and i could go on and on about how arts and google arts and culture is like making a comeback for like being decent because now a lot of their pages are run by the museums or like exhibits straight from museums but i digress it really wasn't a cool thing that i could use it was just a link or like a small pitch from her wikipedia page who could have been written by anyone so most of my sources are coming from primary accounts like Herodotus, who is an ancient Greek historian, but was born and lived in the Persian Empire. And yes, I'm gonna get it out there. For those who've seen 300, Rise of an Empire, that, like that movie, out in 2014, yes, she was in here. I wanna say that she looks like, like me, as like a cousin. Uh, I'm gonna describe her. She's like smaller petite woman with olive skin, long, dark black hair. And I was just like, huh, that's cool. And I actually remember watching this in like 2014, just being like, yeah, I see myself. I could be her. That was my rep like female representation of movies was looking at ancient Persian characters. So that that's just a glimpse into my life. But YouTube didn't even have like documentaries or anything. So I'm sad. Okay, so her name is Greek. It is coming from Artemis, but she is with the Persian Empire under Xerxes the first, at least I believe Xerxes the first. One thinks it's Xerxes the second, and I was like, no, this is not with the timeline. And she's most noted as not necessarily a warrior or like a, a fighter in any of the Greco-Persian wars or any wars on the Persian side, but as a council member to Xerxes, which you can debate is it a higher honor or not, regardless, she was a badass. She was the daughter of King Lygdamus of Herculaneum, and then a Cretan mother whose name is unknown. We just know that she is from Crete. Um, so that's also like in the Greek area, but Herculania, Herculaneus, forgetting that word now, is Persian territory at this point. She assumed the throne with when her husband, who has no name, died. But it wasn't that she assumed the throne as like sole queen of everything. 
she was acting regent for her younger son. And there's really no record of him ruling, but the record of her ruling with him, in a sense. Overall, the primary source for all her achievements in like the Greco-Persian Wars, which is what I'm going to be focusing on, is from Herodotus. And Herodotus wrote his account of the Battle of Salamis in his book or like his works of the histories. She's mentioned by like a bunch of other guys. Guys as actual guys, they were the writers. And this history goes like thousand years in the future. So that's why a lot of her stuff can be legend because it's people writing about this history, but like writing it so far apart that it's more like they're writing down their oral tradition. And that's a huge thing when it comes to like by the Bible and other ancient history sources. Whipped out Herodotus and Plutarch for this and in Battle of Salamis and like 480 BC, she fought for the Persians and distinguished herself not only, again, like in battle, but also the advice she gave. And that's really like where she's talked about, not her battle strategy. And there's also a note where we do get into the battle strategy, where she saved Xerxes' kids from getting like harmed and such. We're at the point where the Greek mainland was taken, Athens is burned, like hell's breaking loose, Persians are basically taking over. Xerxes is trying to figure out what his next move is. Like he, he understands that he has the upper hand, but now needs to figure out how to keep that upper hand. Herodotus gave like a whole account. There are a lot of quotes where he's just talking about Artemisia and basically saying that she was particularly remarkable, that really, if he only needs to mention one warrior, she's the only one that like he believed did the best work. And it was not only her attitude and behavior that like made her such a great warrior, but made her kind of move up and up, up the ranks of roles and like nobility, power and such. So yes, this praise was mostly about her being a woman. And I got like from reading it, like the sense that it's more about, wow, women can do this. Women can fight in battle. But nonetheless, she got some good pats on the back for being a badass. And again, like my other two stories, the legend comes with their death. We have no idea where her body was when she died, what condition, anything. Like it's really, this is where we get to writers thousand years in the future. So like going into like 800s CE or AD, whichever one you would like to use, describing what happened to her. And honestly, this is the juicy juicy part. So she re she's recorded that after she brought Xerxes' sons to like a safe area, brought them back, she fell in love with a prince, Darnanus. Um, I kept reading it as Darius, but it's not Darius. And for some reason, who knows, Dardanus rejected her and was like, nope, I don't love you. Or nope, I don't, I don't want to be with you. Cool, thanks, bye. And in her despair, she threw herself into the sea. I don't know what sea that is. It just said sea. That's a lot of bodies of water in the like Persian scope empire. And she drowned. There aren't other ancient records that say like, yep, this happened. It's like one guy's account of like writing the history. 
there's like some statues that happen to be found or like excavated in Sparta that were like, oh, this is Artemisia, but there's no record, like no engraving in the marble statue that like this is her. People are just saying, oh, it's in the Persian hall. It's in honor of her. That's all we have. Like the British um, Museum had some like images of a statue saying this could be her, but if you scroll all the way to the bottom, it says like, we don't know for sure. So like part of me is like, what really did she do? But other parts are like, yeah, this could have happened. Honestly, read Herodotus. He's a fun time. Good time. Ooh, Lexi's turn. Me, me, me. Me, me, me. All right. Okay. So you guys, are you Disney fans? I feel like you are. You, You like Disney. I love Disney. I would die for all the Disney characters collectively in a bunch. So you're probably going to recognize this quote. The flower that blooms in adversity is the most rare and beautiful of them all. Absolutely. Of course. And that quote is where any reference to Disney, the Disney franchises, Disney studios, Disney parks, and Disney in general shall end. And any relationship (laughs) to Disney at all will now stop. Now let's talk about the real, not real, maybe real story of Hua Mulan. So again, um, preface, I don't speak Chinese. I speak Korean, which is not Chinese and is not related enough that I understand Chinese. For people who don't understand how Asian languages work, they are not very closely related. There are loan words, there are borrowed words, but I do not speak Chinese. So please give me some leeway with these pronunciations of certain things. So the original poem song. Uh, It's a poem that is sung. You know, this is really common in ancient times to have a poem that can be set to music. So the original poem song, which described Hua Mulan, was written by Su Ye, a woman who wrote Yufei style poetry, which is a really common style of poetry that was a form of oral tradition sharing and folklore sharing. And it was a rhythmic style of poetry set to music. Basically, people would travel from town to town performing these songs to tell traditions and folklore and stories. So the translations that we have don't really follow the meter or rhythm. So when they are set to music, they don't really sound correct. So the only true way to experience Yufei is in its native form. So if you don't speak Chinese, and there are different versions of Chinese, so if you don't speak the specific versions of Chinese that the Yufei is written in, you won't fully understand the poetic nature of the story. But we do have translations of the story that help us understand who Hua Mulan was. So I'm going to tell you, based on translations, the true story or maybe not so true story of Mulan. The poem opens with Mulan, a young girl, showing disinterest in womanly activities, womanly in quotes. So she doesn't like doing things like household chores or marriage. Um, She's disinterested in, you know, finding someone to marry. She's disinterested in her parents arranging her marriage. She's disinterested in cooking, cleaning, dressing like a woman. She just doesn't like any of it. And a request from the government comes around to each family. I am also disinterested in cleaning, for the record. (laughs) I think every human is. So, well, maybe my mother loves cleaning. I I don't know. She does it a lot, and she really does it with a, yeah, she does it with such a feverish passion. I don't know. Maybe she does like it. But yeah, so this request from the government comes around to each family. I assume it is some sort of scroll that is delivered to families that are noble and have people who can read. But it might also come from a person who tells it. I am unsure based on the translations of the poetry. So the request comes from the government to have each family send a son or brother. So like a young unmarried 
uncle, brother man, or a son of the family who can serve in the army. But Mulan's family um, is very small. She's an oldest child, so she doesn't have an older brother for them to send. And Mulan sees this as an opportunity, so she buys the equipment required to enlist in the military, which is a horse, a whip, a saddle, and a bridle. And she shows up at the military encampment dressed as a man. And the poem continues with Mulan journeying far from her home on a trip that takes 10 years and covers 10,000 miles. And at the end of her military service, her only request is to return home. She's offered the option to take money or land, but all she wants to do is return to her family. So she returns to her family. And when she arrives home, her parents have had another child, a little brother. So now Mulan has a little brother. And Mulan returns to her quarters and she assumes a feminine identity. She puts it back on. She brushes her now white from years of hard work hair. She puts on makeup. She gets into feminine clothes. And then she goes out just to meet up with her buddies from the military to see them, to, to rekindle, uh, you know, the military friendship, Rosby and bros. And they are shocked to see her dressed in feminine attire because they've known her for a decade. And the whole decade, they assumed that she was a man. And so the poem closes with a simple phrase. And it basically translates to two rabbits run side by side. But when they run side by side, you cannot tell which is a male and which is a female. So this is folklore, tradition. You know, it might be true. It might not be true. So uh, some other details. Hua Mulan means flower, so hua, flower, mu, wood, lan, orchid, and hua is the surname and Mulan is the given name, so Mulan is her first name, so that's why in some depictions you will just see Mulan, that is her first name, but in some sources the surname fa is used, so sometimes she is hua Mulan. The most common tradition and most common translation is hua Mulan. That was going to be like my immediate question was I thought it was Fa Mulan this whole time. That's because Disney used that version. <laughs> Not even from Disney, from just like knowing, because I, when I got back on like the Disney Plus kick train, I wanted to like watch all the Disney Princess movies, but just compare them to like their actual stories. And sometimes I saw the Fa Mulan. So I was like, oh, did Disney yeah. get this correct? So it's, it's because it's, it's not really a person. Well, it might be, but it's not really a person. So when this story goes from place to place, versions of it change. So evidence as to whether or not Mulan actually existed is basically non-existent. We don't have any sort of physical, archaeological evidence. Like while folk songs and oral tradition hold her as a symbol of bravery and resilience, no physical evidence exists at all. There are no royal history books or official records that mention her, even though there are military records from the time. Now some people who are Mulan truthers may think, oh, well, she probably used a masculine name, but again, it's totally up in the air. We're not sure. So, you know, even in the era and area in which she existed and like where she was from, it's completely under debate whether she was from South China, from the Chinese plains, like no one's really sure. And some people say she's from one time period and some people say she's on another time period. You know, is she lost to history? Is it possible there really was this heroic warrior in disguise who fought for her people and her family? And maybe her name and origin and era are just lost to history. So different versions of the story attribute different names, like her surname changing, different eras, different places of origin, because they don't know the truth of the original story. Or is it more likely that there were several women who fought in disguise throughout Chinese history 
as they've done in many societies, in many aspects of history, but that their stories have been molded into a single poem through the passage of time. I love that. Yeah. That was a great closing. That's so cool. I love that. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on ladyhistorypod.tumblr.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends about us. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Lexi B. Draws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we're going to dive straight in, misbehave a little bit, and talk about the ladies who committed some crimes.